0: One of my favorite stories in the scriptures, before we get to Galatians, actually in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, to frame what had happened in, in Exodus 32, Aaron had, uh, had been left alone by Moses. And Moses had gone up to the, on the mountain to meet with God and with the Ten Commandments, you know the story. And he'd been gone a long time. And so Aaron was now left with a grumbling group of Israelites who clearly were exerting a certain amount of pressure on Aaron because they said, Moses is gone, he's not going to come back, Uh, we need something to worship. And so Aaron said, in Exodus 32, you can read it, give me all your gold, give me all your jewelry, and he put it into the fire, he melted it down, and he made a golden calf. And they started worshipping the golden calf. And so you can read this in, in the chapter, God is talking to Moses, and it kind of gives the impression that God stops talking and says, I'm going to destroy... The Israelites. I'm going to destroy these people because they have turned away from me and now are worshipping this, uh, this idol. The, the, and so God and Moses have this interaction. Moses pleads on behalf of, of the Israelites and then goes down the mountain and he's carrying the two uh, tablets, that classic, iconic Charlton Heston look. You know, the ones who are old enough who know who Charlton Heston is, um, he's got the two tablets and he's thundering down the mountain, he's mad, and I read this, I kind of got this image of Moses with his long hair and beard, full on, kind of on the hard. coming down the mountain, he's mad, because of what's happening in the, in the tribe, and he arrives, and by that time he's dropped the two tablets, they've smashed And he's furious. And one of my favorite scriptures in the whole of the Old Testament, you can read it in Exodus 32, it says, Moses took the calf the people had made. He burned it in the fire. Can you imagine how mad Moses is? That these people had turned away from God so quickly and had been uh, idolizing this golden calf. Then he ground it to powder. So this isn't a quick process. This is Moses mad for a long time. Then he scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Yes! That is just a fantastic response from Moses full on like Harley Davidson coming. Like, this is how I he's mad. And he's like so mad. He gets this idol, grinds it up and makes them drink it. Parents, what a great way to discipline your kids. I told you, no more time on the cell phone. I'm going to grind it up. I'm going to put it in water. I'm going to make you drink it. It's just a great disciplinary way of going about. You were late last night. Where's your car? I'm going to grind it down. I'm going to put it in water. He's mad. Now, I'm not condoning any of that. Please don't poison your kids with cell phones. Those of you watching on web, I'm not, you know, we've got to be very careful these days. Hashtag... You know, grinding down drinking water and everything else. But this response is like Moses. Just dude, can we what is the big deal? But if you actually look at the scripture, it's really interesting. Because in verse twenty two, I'm gonna read it to you. This is Aaron's response Do not be angry, my lord. Too late. Too late. I think I think that's already that ship has sailed. Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. These people, you left them with me. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. They gave me this gold and I threw it in the fire and quote Exodus 32 and out came this calf. Just popped out. Of the fire by itself, if only you'd been here, you know it wouldn't have happened these people t- <laughs> you know that's his response so he's trying to he's trying to deflect blame he's trying he's, he's kind of gossiping about the people he's bitter about the people it's it's a mess the whole thing's a mess why why is it such a strong response honestly at the root of this that in some Uh, strong way, there is a fear from Aaron from the people. The people were grumbling, they were unhappy, they wanted something different, they're putting pressure on Aaron, and Aaron basically kowtowed to the people's wishes, seeking their approval rather than the approval of God. And if if he'd said no, what would the response have been? What would they have said? What would they think? What would they do? There's fear rising up in Aaron, and so he does something that he believes is going to seek the approval from the people. Because in that moment, that's what's most important to him. And you know, that sense of seeking the approval of the people, seeking the approval of pe- other people, through fear of what they might say, what they might do, or what they might think, what would their response be, is something we all live with. And the vehement uh, response from God, as a result of that, seeking the approval of Mankind, rather than the approval of God, is, well, we can read it. That's a remarkable, remarkable verse. These are crippling questions. And every one of these questions are actually pertinent to everybody in this room. Some more than others, perhaps because of your position, especially the younger you go. This is very, very relevant to you. But it doesn't stop. High school doesn't end in some way you still are very conscious about what people might say, what people might think, what people might do. And, and as a result, we don't take the risks that we would ordinarily take because what happens if I fail and I get ridiculed and, or there's, uh, we, we get very anxious about the response from somebody how do, will they respond? What will they say? What will they think? How will they feel? What will they do to me? And so it crippling. These, these things cripple whether you're in your, in your teens, whether you're in, your, in kind of midlife, empty nesters, seniors, whatever it might be. What will people think? Our need to seek the approval uh, through fear of others' response can be crippling. There's actually a, uh, a, uh, a word that is attached to this in the, when it gets to the extreme. Uh, it's codependency. The core characteristics of codependency is the excessive reliance on other people for approval and a sense of identity. It's a very acute with people who have addictions. And so often the partner of the person who has an addiction is codependent on that in that when they're up, Uh, the person is up. When this person is down, they're down. And so you live life in tandem with somebody else. If they're happy, you're happy. If they're down, you're down. If they're angry, you get affected. And it's this tandem living. And you can read here that it's an excessive reliance on other people for approval. We live in a society that is driven by this. That's why social media and Instagram, and I know I talk about this a lot, and there's a reason for it, because our society in some way, our culture is that the the influence culture is very, very pertinent. So I would be foolish not to talk about it. But by talking about it, I'm not criticizing the mechanism of social media. I'm using an iPad right here. Technology is good. But when it comes to a point where we're using different things in order to gain approval from other people, that becomes an issue. That becomes a problem. In fact, it can become a critical problem. And so, when we come to Galatians in chapter one, there's this really interesting one verse that I want to focus on this morning as we go through the passage, and it's this. For and Paul is saying this, this, and I'll explain why. For I am now seeking. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I'm still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? If I was trying to please man, I could not be a servant of Christ. See, at this time, Paul is in the middle of of trying to correct a church that had strayed from the gospel. He's doing it very passionately. But he's reminding them of something. I'm not looking for your approval. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not looking to please you. I'm looking to please God. I'm looking for His approval. He basically pits two ways to live against one another. He's like, you can either live pleasing mankind or you can live pleasing God. That, that, those are your two ways. And you'll actually see through the Bible that that reverberates. So if you're, if you're a Christian this, here this morning, this is very, very important for you to listen to. If you're somebody who uh, has maybe used to be a Christian or used to go to church and it's kind of uh, that's, a, that's something in your past, or, but now you're coming back in, this is a very important subject. If you're somebody who is still thinking through spirituality and Christianity is just in the mix of that, this is an important subject because it dictates what we do. It dictates how we live. It dictates the decisions we make, the way we parent, the way we run our businesses, the way that we go about life. Now, you might be a person who goes, I don't care what people think. Yes, you do. Everybody does. Everybody is influenced by somebody else's thoughts of them. The fact that you're saying that proves that you actually care what the other person is thinking about you, otherwise you wouldn't say it. I want you to know that I don't care what you think. Well, clearly you do, because otherwise you wouldn't have said it. Okay, so everybody cares. And it's also not an excuse for you to kick down doors and say whatever you want to whomever you want, because I don't care. No, that's just being called an idiot. You You don't do that. It's not nice. It's not biblical. It's not right. So it's not this belligerent, I don't care, It's actually priorities. What are you putting first? Are you putting the approval of mankind, the others, people? Or are you looking for the approval of God? And Paul says there's two ways to live. And it really comes down to this. Fear of God or fear of others. Fear of God or fear of others. The word fear in the Bible is actually a very powerful word. It oftentimes, most of the time, it doesn't mean frightened. It doesn't mean that. Um, it it, it means something really quite powerful. It means awe. So when you have fear of God, it means awe of God. How do you say it? You don't go awe, do you? What do you go? Arr, arr. Is that like like piracy? Is that where that's come from? Pirates? Arr, arr of God. Amazed, (laughs) revering. I shouldn't, this is, I almost feel like this is irreverent. I'm sorry. I just want to connect with my Canadian-sounding friends. Awe of God. Amazed, revering, worshipping. Some of you are still saying it. If you can and placing him first. Okay, so, listen. This, this is why this is a powerful word. When you, have, when you are fearing God, it's a reverency to him. It's a prioritizing of him. It's placing him first. There's a worship, a revering, it's a you are amazed by him. That's what it means when you have fear of God. But that actually also works with people. If you have fear of people, you are amazed by what they think of you. You revere their attention. You are looking to put them first. You are very, very concerned and amazed and you, it brings you life. It Fills you when you get noticed and liked, which is why social media is so powerful. There's so many studies now where there's a release of dopamine every time a, a phone, especially with young people, dings or buzzes or they get a like, which is why it's addictive. It's literally chemically addictive. And so when you give your kid, parents, full rain on their phone at any time you want you're literally giving them something that is releasing a chemical into their body that is equally as addictive as drugs in this world which is why they're constantly on their phone it's not because they're being disobedient to you well it is and that's where we go back down to the moses way grind it down don't make them drink it if you need to whatever but you are literally allowing them to get addicted to something that will will actually change the way they think and act so you have to parent well and it's hard, but it's because of this, this amazement around what people think. But it doesn't stop at social media, does it? It's, it, it's everywhere we are in Kelowna, this concern of what people might think, what people might say, the, the need to be liked. So why, why do we have this? Why do we have this need? And this is really important when we break apart this scripture. And the reason is, is we were created for relationship. We, we, were, we need close relationship. And so rejection, let me go back, rejection actually causes pain and trauma. So when you hurt yourself, there's, a, there's opioids released into, into the body. I've got to be careful because we've got like, I don't know, three dozen doctors in this church. So I need to be careful now. That's all biology. So I did my research. Opioids get released into the body when there's physical pain. It's a painkiller. But there was a research done in the University of Michigan Medical School that the brain ex- when the brain experiences rejection, it also releases opiates. So there's this, this trauma and pain that's when you're rejected by somebody. And so we do everything we can not to be rejected, which is why we fear it. In fact, rejection sits firmly in the top ten list of greatest fears. So listen to this. I'm going to give you a bit of a list. It's why parents tend to befriend rather than parent their kids. Because they're afraid of what the kid might do and may reject them. And so, that's why we see kids... (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm going to get into trouble, but I'm going to say it. Because I live in Kettle Valley and they're everywhere. Kids on electric scooters, like four of them. How many of you have seen them? Anybody seen more than four? Four is my record. No helmets. I'm like... There's befriending going on there, not parenting. Just saying it. I've got four kids. I feel like I'm qualified. And, it, and, it, and often it's because we're afraid of what our kids might say or do or even worse, reject us. So we, we over-friend them rather than parent them. And you can send me an email later. It's uh, Lyndon Thomas. At What's your email again, Lyndon? I need to have it written down on every sermon. <laughs> it's why, why, why are we... Why is it our greatest fear? It's it's why there's pressure at work to work longer hours because we're afraid of what might happen, what somebody might say, and what they might do. It's why we're tempted to keep up with everyone around us because we might get rejected by our social group. It's why we continue to go back to painful relationships because we're we're fearful of what the result might be if we don't try and keep that relationship together. Even though it's painful. It's why we try to control circumstances and people. And we try and manipulate. It's codependency. It's why pastors don't preach tough subjects. And say stuff from here that may upset you and you might not come back next week. It's why there's a fear of approval. And so I have to be careful. Every week it's easy to draw a crowd. It's hard to build a church. And some building a church actually comes from preaching the tough stuff. Next week is a tough subject. This, this is easy compared to next week. Um, it's why we get anxious when a text or a call isn't returned. Young people, they didn't respond. What do they really mean by LOL? I wonder if it means, and we get obsessed, we get anxious about what happens. It's why selfies dominate our culture. Because we want to be constantly approved. But it's a snare. And the scripture says this. Fear of man, mankind, will prove to be a snare. Because we start making decisions. So again, remember Paul is saying, I'm not seeking your approval. I'm seeking God's approval. I'm not looking to please you. I want to please God. Because if I please you, I cannot be a servant of Christ. I cannot serve Jesus. I cannot have all that Jesus promises if I'm seeking to serve you as a group of people. And we can put that on our culture. It's a snare because it starts, we start making decisions based on our need for approval. So some of you, some of you may know that, uh, that Sarah had an accident this week and, uh, and she rebroke her arm. Um, right above those of you been in church since January will know that she had a very nasty break, and she broke her arm just above her elbow and this week um, she broke her arm just above that break and a clean not a fracture not like oh, a clean break so we she starts all over again, and it was fourteen weeks last time before she was able to start physio and you know that that 's rough that 's really rough and so no side hugs, please no no hugs at all just. Oh, hold hand. No, one hand. Just hold one hand. And but she's in church. So that's cool. Yeah. Um so but please no side hugs, um, because that happened a couple of times. Um once in Costco, I think. It wasn't pleasurable. But we um and so please pray for Sarah and and uh, and her we're praying which when she meets with a specialist on Tuesday that that the uh that it will be a very quick recovery because the first indication we had that that's not the case, but we we believe in a in a higher power. As wonderful as that doctor was, um, so so Sarah was in hospital. I got the call, so I went down on uh, on Thursday, and uh, and she said the words that every husband dreads to hear: not I'm going into X-ray, not uh, I I'm I'm. Um, You know, I'm at hospital, because she was with Leeson, our our children's director, and she was doing a great job of looking after her. The words that every husband dreads to hear at any time of their lives is, can you bring my handbag? Can you bring my purse? Because immediately, I'm like, that means I have to carry it. (laughs) I have to carry it from the car, through the hospital, and I know what the park is like at KGH. It's awful. So you basically have to park in Summerland and walk to get into the hospital. And so I'm, I'm like, okay. So I started thinking about this whole process. So, so the, the, this, this idea with the, with the bag is, guys, you will have done this. You, you Guys, you never, ever, ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't do that. Otherwise, we need coffee, and I'll be asking you for your man card. You don't. Don't do this. So what we tend to do is this. Usually, like, we're holding a dead skunk. So I'm carrying, I'm carrying this thing through the car lot, hoping and praying that nobody that I see, that I know, will, will, will come. And ideally, you know, you can do the under-the-shirt thing or whatever. But then I realized what I was actually missing was, was actually this is probably the best way. And then you can carry it really carefully through any parking lot you want. Sorry, love. Tipped it up there. See? Genius. I'm carrying. Thank you. I'll leave it there. I'm carrying this through the parking lot all the time. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm carrying a handbag. This, is, this, is, this isn't right. I shouldn't. My wife's broken her arm. You can do this, Glenn. Come on. You know, And it's ridiculous. I'm just being transparent with you. I'm just being honest with you. It was, it was, a, it was a tough, like, three-hour walk from Summerland with a handbag. And um, all the time, and you know what? It was really, really bizarre. I was thinking about this sermon all week, and God just went, you are seeking people's approval. You are concerned about what people might think. You are concerned about what they might say. Now, some of you guys out there, you might be the whole metrosexual thing. and really comfortable in your own masculinity, and good for you. But this guy was struggling walking through the car lot with a handbag, and God just went, really? Really? So, I, you know, I started thinking, well, I should have shoved it in another bag, and I could do it like a poop bag. It's, it's good. We can, I don't even have to touch it. And I'm like, and I know this sounds like a really bizarre thing, but here's the reality. That's exactly, Christians, what we do with our Christianity is we don't want to, we start making decisions around the idea of what people might say, what people might do, what people might think about the way that we live our life. And so we do the equivalent of shoving it in a bag, putting it out of sight, and hoping that nobody will notice. And if somebody asks you about Christianity, then you'll say yes, but the reality is that scripture that I just read, fear of man will prove to be a snare. God will challenge that. And we make decisions based on what we want people to think of us. We start covering up. And Christians, we start living very, very quiet lives. You know, we we like applying the scripture about living a quiet life, but living a quiet life doesn't mean to say that we kind of shove our Christianity into a bag and hope nobody notices it. That as we're walking through the car lot of life, are we actually going, you know what, I can own this because this is who I am. This is what I believe. This this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, that Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, would choose me to be His brother, His friend, His, his, I'm his uh, He's my Savior, my Lord, my King, that He would think of me, love me enough to go to the cross and die for me. And there's often times that we will do everything we possibly can just to shove it away because we don't want somebody else to criticize or point maybe it's a family member maybe it's somebody very close to you but we hide our Christianity away and Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4 but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak now then some people have pointed out to me that not everybody is an over the top walk across the coffee shop I'm going to pray for you type of person and that's fine Maybe you know there are some of you like that, and and that's good. Some of you are far more quiet, and and you know you go about, and, that, and that's wonderful. God uses everybody, and so I'm not saying unless you are you know evangelizing the person sat next to you on the bus stop, then you're failing as a Christian. I'm not saying that, and any of you know me well enough know me that that's not the case. But what I am saying is there comes a time when we need to speak. We need to point at. This is where the analogy fails. So I'm not saying the, Bible, the gospel is like a handbag or anything like that, but we need to kind of, you know what, this is fine. Because I'm actually carrying it for a greater cause. I'm carrying it for a greater cause, and it's actually a cause that has tremendous faith. So when you're at school, guys, look at me. When you're at school, you carry it strong, you carry it proud, you carry it in front of others. This is who you are. If you claim it here, you claim it there. But it doesn't stop at high school, does it? It's at school, it's at work, it's in front of your family, it's in front of your neighbors. Do you know the names of your neighbors? Because we have to speak it. Because look, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. He'll test you. It'll come as a test. But we come because we want to please God. Not in order for Him to love us more, because we talked about that last week. We please God because He loves us so much. Am I now trying to please man. You know, that's encouraging to me in Galatians 1, verse 10, the first three words, I am I now trying, because that tells me something powerful about Paul's history, which we're looking at next week. Paul, this is suggesting, used to please. He wanted to please his fellow man. That was a motivation. He's like, no, now? Am, am I now trying to do it? No. He'd learnt To please God. And that's an encouragement to me, because it means regardless of where we're at in this whole process of are we just seeking the approval of others, or are we pleasing God, that we can actually learn to please God. So let me just very carefully and lovingly speak into something that I know is a challenge, especially in families. Especially when it comes to kids, especially when it comes to somebody we used to be very close to. Christian friends, you need to be very careful. They do not dictate your life, your decisions, your control your circumstances. It causes deep anxiety and it's not godly. You seek God first. Does that mean you're not loving to somebody? You can be loving and yet be distant if distance is actually the healthiest thing. And it's okay to let them go. Just like the father let go of their prodigal, his prodigal son, it's okay to let them go. It's okay to come to the point when you realize that pleasing God means recognizing that he is in control, he is sovereign, he knows, be encouraged, he is far more capable of loving and guiding and looking after your kid than you are, than I am, having four. And the times that I have failed deeply in trying to Control circumstances to try and guide them towards a direction that I think is best for them, only finding actually god 's way was best because God speaks far more loudly and deeply and more uh, ability to change than, than me than me. So am I now trying to please God? See Paul at the end here says, I would not be a servant of Christ. you cannot please man, you can and be a servant." Of Christ. Why the servant of Christ? Why is he so motivated by being a servant of Christ? It's because Christ proved his love to Paul. So much so that Paul would say, There is nobody who thinks more of me than Jesus. There's nobody who thinks that I am more worthy than Jesus. He loves me. He's he gave himself. He accepts me. He proves me. He, he gives me every power and promise I need. And so he is my audience, the audience of one. And that empowers him to do the tough things in life. Remember when I was uh, starting to go out with Sarah, or as we, or as we said then, courting. Um, courting Sarah. I, I, I lived about seven miles. I don't know how many is that, like 11, 12 kilometers away. Uh, from her, and so I used to bike, because I didn't have a car, I would often just bike down, now that sounds awfully idyllic, you know, to try and get the, the kind of the uh, English countryside thing out of your mind, because it always meant you had to bike along the seafront, and along the seafront there was often 40, 50 mile an hour winds just whipping along, always, miraculously, in whichever direction you biked, just seemed to change like that so 12 miles on a bike is nothing like that. That's, that's easy. But 12 miles on a bike in a headwind after you finish work and everything else. But you know, why did I do it? Because I loved her. And she'd proven her love to me. And so I was willing to make the sacrifice because I loved her. I didn't do it to get her to love me. It's a big difference. I did it because she loves me. And because I love her, Does that makes sense? And exactly the same way, Paul is like, I, I am seeking the approval of God, not in order to gain God's love, but because God loves me, I want to do the right thing. And that means not being thoughtful all the time, but have prioritized being in awe, being amazed of what people think of me, because it will dictate his decisions. So the challenge in this is really obvious. In what way are we having our decisions dictated to, because of our seeking approval of what other people might think, say, or do around us. If we truly knew how much we are loved, we would not seek the approval of people. If we really deeply knew Ephesians 1.17, know that we had a, a revelation... A revelation of wisdom and knowledge in the the, the knowledge of Jesus, that intimacy with Jesus. If we understood how much we were loved, we would not seek the approval. So my, my friends at school, my friends at university, my friends at workplace, in family, empty nesting, whatever stage of life you are, the security that comes from knowing that you are loved by the one with a capital O that proved himself as parents, we can be secure in knowing that Jesus loves your children more than you. Workers, you are already approved and kept by God. You no longer have to prioritize what other people think because you're already accepted. We can let go of trying to control circumstances because we recognize that he is the one who coordinates and controls. We can be relaxed if somebody doesn't get back to us because we always have his full attention. We don't have to wait. So this is a great encouragement and a struggle as I finish a great encouragement okay get ready this is one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible you ready you're welcome God bless you have a great week (laughs) okay you, you guys you know you guys know your Greek in the Greek all means all like everybody wow hate means hate not just dislike like hate And this is Jesus speaking. All men will hate you because of me. Not because of you. Because of Jesus. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. No, (laughs) Not maybe, not possibly, not like will be. If we actually live out our life in front of people, Christian friends, you will be persecuted. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might be going, well, that sounds rubbish. I'm not interested in that. But by doing that, it's actually proving the point in in scriptures when it comes to the gospel because Christianity is about being approved by God. And being approved by God means that you get not only to spend eternity with Him, it means in this place, right now, on earth, you are filled with the promise and the power that only comes through Christianity. And if you're struggling with whether it does only come from Christianity, listen to last week's message because we dig into that. How can Jesus be the only way? The reality is, and it's true, that the free gift of grace is offensive to people and they will hate you for it. And sometimes they won't even know why they don't like you. They just won't be... They just. I just don't like that guy. And I don't know what it is. Just you going into a room will cause disruption because not of what... You are, but because of who came into the room with you. It disrupts. Because we are filled with promise and power. And so it's going to come out of our words. It's going to come out of our actions. It's going to come out of just your presence. But be encouraged, Christian friend. It is not you that they hate. It is Jesus in you that they hate. And that's his deal, not your deal. You will be persecuted. Why? Why is it that this free gift of grace, this promise that not... You see, this is a preacher. I, do, I, I have to pray this through. Lord, why aren't people running into church? Because this gift, this promise, this, this power, this new life now and eternal life forever will mean a radical change that the old has gone, the new has come. There's forgiveness. There's cleanliness. There's a new start. This is good news. It's wonderful. Why wouldn't you want that? It's because it's offensive. Why is it offensive? The very nature of Christianity is saying that there's something wrong with you. And it's called sin. We don't like that. We don't like the fact that maybe there is something awry. We don't like the fact that Christianity reminds us that we can't fix ourselves. We don't like the fact that we can't forgive ourselves. We can do this. I'm empowered. I can do it. Look at my selfies. Look at how powerful I am. Look at where I travel. Look at my car. Look at my house. Look at, while all at the same time dying on the inside, it's offensive when somebody like me or a Christian friend comes alongside of you and says, you know what, there's a better way. We find that offensive. How dare you? How dare you point out that I cannot be king and queen of my life? How dare you point out that it doesn't work? How dare you point out that at some point it will fail me because I am not in as much control as I like to think I am? One phone call reminds us of that. One visit to the doctor reminds us of that. I say this a lot, it's true. One trip and fall reminds us that we're not in control. It's offensive to find out that Jesus took your punishment on that cross. Punishment? See, this is the whole nature of Galatians. That that we would actually sin so much that God being just, that there has to be some retribution to that. There has to be some punishment. It's called substitutionary atonement is the theological word. That my sin placed upon Jesus and it dies with him on the cross. That he is my substitute and took it instead of me. That's offensive to some people. It's offensive because what it's suggesting is that you have sin in your life. that There will come a time when there will be justice to that because God wouldn't be God if he just let everybody off. We find that offensive. We find it offensive that we need him now and eternally. And so what we do is we try and do things ourselves and oftentimes that means seeking the approval of others so that they can keep us in relationship. So what we do, and listen to this, is we seek the relationship that, please listen, We seek the relationship that we are created and designed for, not between us and God, but we seek it from others. And then guess what? They let you down. They disappoint. And in fact, it's... Unfair to expect that that person can give you the depth of the eternal relationship that you were designed for that can only come from God. Because there's eternity in you, Ecclesiastes 3 says. There's this vibe, there's this essence, there's this spirit that will never get satiated with a relationship with somebody else. But we try. And how do we try? By seeking their approval. It's a brutal way to live. But Jesus says, Christian, brother, sister, you are approved. You're accepted. You're loved. You are welcome. You see, this is time and we're going to come to communion in just a second if the worship team want to start getting ready. This is Paul speaking. At my first offense, no one came. Remember what I said? Relationships will let you down. No one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. And maybe that speaks to somebody here this morning. Maybe you're holding something against somebody else and they're controlling you. What they do, oh, makes you so mad. they're controlling you. It's codependency. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Jesus was enough for Paul because that relationship was enough for him. Do you have that, Christian friend? Do you have that depth? Do you have that knowledge that if something awful was to happen around those around you, that you were still cemented, as terrible as it would be, you're cemented in the relationship and the knowledge that Jesus gives you the promise and the power that you need to get through that. with tears often. So I want to challenge you to something this week as we come to communion. How does this emerge? How, how do we seek the approval of God over the approval of man? Well, first of all, if you are, if you are not a Christian, if you've never come to that place where you've fully submitted to his lordship and his kingship and him being the one, him being your priority, that you are still seeking awe and, and, and amazement from other people, If you've never done that, then the place that you come to is you come to him and very beautifully and simply you ask for for his forgiveness. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord, then you are saved, you become approved, you become accepted. It starts there. But Christians, if you find yourself that you are looking for the approval of others over the approval of God, how does that develop? It's so beautifully simple as well. I promise you, I will guarantee it. If I give you a written guarantee, it's right here. As you spend time daily meditating, praying, and spending time with Him in His Word, you will get this constant reminder of how much you are loved, how approved you are, how accepted you are, the future that you have. It's this constant, beautiful, spiritual drip into your life. And you will find that it will emerge I am now not seeking the approval of others. And then I challenge you to let's not hide away our faith but to actually live it out. Speak. In the quiet moments, in the loud moments, whatever circumstances it might be, meditate on Him. As we come to communion, there was a scripture that I read this week in my, just my own devotions and it was in John. Bearing in mind the type of week we'd had, because as much as I joke about the handbag, it was heartbreaking for Sarah this week. And it was it was tough, you know, it was a lot of tears shed, a lot of frustration. It's okay to be angry against God sometimes. He's, he's big enough, he can take it. And uh, and I was reading just early on Friday morning, and there was this uh, this verse... And it's in the middle when he was walking on water and they were afraid. And in verse, John 6, verse 20, he said this. It's, it's red-lettered in my Bible. It is I. Do not be afraid. But then it was the next four words that struck me. It is I. Do not be afraid. And in verse 21, then they were glad. So all, all they needed to be glad was the word of the Lord... The circumstances and the waves were still there, but the word of the Lord came to them and they were glad. And as we come to communion and, and what's going to happen is Luke is going to play and the team are going to lead us. And at any time you can come and take some bread and dip it into, uh, into the juice. And, um, and if you're a Christian, the scriptures are clear that this is for you to come and enjoy. And it says, remember Remember the sacrifice. Remember what Jesus did on the cross for you, Christian friend. But maybe some of you need to know and be reminded, it is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of what they say. Do not be afraid of what they might do. Do not be afraid of what your boss thinks, your daughter thinks, your husband thinks. In a godly way, place him first. Do not be afraid. So in, in this worship time, Come and take some bread at any time in this song and then we're gonna, Luke is going to lead us and dismiss us. But I really want, let's just close our eyes maybe. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will take my words as faltering, as fumbling as they are and Lord, I pray that you would turn them into power. In this room. But Lord, your promises, your promises, Lord, is that we're accepted, we're approved. for Those who believe that we are welcome, we are loved, we are cared for, and we have an audience of one. And I thank you, Jesus, that you, Lord, are so worthy of our love and attention because of what you did on the cross for us. And so, Lord, I pray for the bread, and I pray for the wine, and I pray in the name of Jesus that as we take it, as Christians, brothers and sisters, Lord, it will be a fresh reminder of how loved we are. And, Lord, I pray for those in the room that, that need to hear the promise, it is, I do not be afraid. And that maybe this is a time, Father, they would just let go of some of the relationships that are being held too tight. Father, I pray you would help the parents to be loving, godly parents. Lord, I pray and I'm thankful, God, that you look after our kids way better than we can. And you love them. As amazing as it is to me that you love them more than I love them. And so, Lord, as parents, we just open our hands and we say, God, I pray you would help me to live that truth out. Give me wisdom to parent well. Give me power to parent well, to make much of you, Jesus, so that they would thrive in every way. And Lord, I pray in the difficult times of being a parent, that Lord, we'd be remembered, we'd be reminded, it is I. Do not be afraid. Thank you.